depending on which country you're from, uh, people tend to not talk about money. They tend to not talk about uh, personal finance. And even if you have a problem, you're kind of not not talking to your inner circle to be able to help you out. Until you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you should be investing in your skill sets. Like, what what? soft and technical skills are required to get to the role or open the business yeah. or do what you need. And hopefully it's a use, use to people, right? Uh, firstly, the main goal is to like avoid lifestyle inflation, which means stop spending more money to like improve your quality of life faster than the rate at which your salary is growing. So typically your salary is growing at 3%. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the How to Get a Job podcast. Today, we're not discussing how to get a job, but we're actually going to be discussing the next most important topic right after you get your job, and that is getting your finances in order, especially true when you are a minority or a first-generation immigrant uh, where you might not talk about this at home that much, and this might be new if you're new to the United States. And to do this, I have an amazing guest with me today. I have Rishin and he is the founder of Capital We, a financial planner specialist uh, that specializes in helping with working with immigrants. So welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Daniel. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. Look, I'm, I'm really excited about this topic because I, I, I'm not a financial planner or a financial expert or a financial advisor, uh, but I think it's so important. And so throughout life, like I read a lot of like the personal finance books that has helped build a really good foundation. And I think back about how impactful my life has been because of those books and because of taking that seriously. And I'm gonna share a little example with the audience, right? I came from Columbia when I was young and my definition of the American dream was buying a house in America. I felt like if I could own a piece of America, a piece of property, that I would be American. Like that would be the American dream. And so I looked into what it took to buy a house. And um, I, I noticed that there's a couple of things. You needed a good credit score. Um, you needed to prove an income, right? And you needed to have some years of experience or one year after you graduated college with related uh, major. So I remember that I graduated college and I had set an alarm to say, okay, a year from the point I started working, I was going to go and get my house, right? And I graduated in 2012, bought my first home and I got it uh, January 31st of 2013. And what's really crazy, and this is a really crazy story, is that I actually got my house 15 years to the day that I arrived to the United States on the plane. And I arrived to this, this country without, and I built a home. So like I built it with the builder. And so I don't control when it's delivered, right? And the fact that I got it 15 years from the day that my mom and I arrived to this country with $2,000 in two suitcases was incredible to me. And buying that house for me, and I don't say you need to buy a house, but for me has been a blessing in a sense because I live in a four bedroom house and rent, if I were to rent my house out, I could rent it for about $4,500, but I pay less than $1,700 because I bought it so long ago, my interest rate is so low. And so my <laughs> wife and I have not moved since we bought it um, and has given me a level of security, has dramatically improved my net worth. Anyways, and so I say that is because if I didn't 
start thinking about finances, right? If I didn't have that dream of buying a house, if I didn't research what it took to do that, how much I needed for down payment, what my, what my credit score needed to be and all of that, I would have never been able to have done that. And that's really been really great. And so it's why, even though it's not about how to get a job, I did want to bring an expert to talk about this because personal finance is not only important, but as an immigrant and a first generation uh, immigrant or a minority, this is really important. So I know that's my spiel is a little bit of my story. So why don't we have you, uh, Rushin, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why did you get into this field? Yeah, Daniel, I think you actually made a lot of people listening to the podcast very jealous with that story because I know home ownership is, is something that everybody aspires to yeah. when they move here. Um, but I, I think a little bit opposite uh, story that I have. Uh, I kind of moved here for my undergrad uh, and then moved out to the Bay Area where I where I got my first job working in engineering. Um, started with a salary of $75,000, which if you know anything about the Bay Area is not enough. And so I got, I learned, I basically got tossed into the deep end of the pool and I had to learn about money and that's saving. And then quickly you realize savings not enough. So you have to do investing. Uh, and then you learn about your 401k, IRA, all of that stuff. And you see everybody else who were my peers that graduated had 150, $200,000 salaries were making all the same mistakes. So I kind of gave them free advice and they didn't take it. So the joke goes that I kind of got the certification to be able to charge them for, uh, for the advice, but, but going, going back to your point, right? Like finance is very personal and finance is a lot more psychological than it is, uh, than it is like math because. Uh, everybody has these goals that they've kind of defined for themselves and working toward like making sure you're maximizing your dollars and getting to the goals that you have is the important part. And I, I kind of just try to help people with that. Uh, some of the things there and like your, your story, right? It's, it's really interesting because um, you said personal finance are personal and it's more psychological than it is math. And it's so true because as humans, as much as we say we're logical individuals, we're really not, right? And we're more, <laughs> and we act more on our yeah. emotions than it is that. And, and this happens whether it's with money or with food, because I could tell you, like, I know I shouldn't eat that cheeseburger. I, <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but I do it anyways. Yeah. I know I shouldn't yeah. buy that $15 drink at the bar, but I do it anyway, <laughs> right? And so uh, let's talk a little bit more about that, uh, about the psychology behind personal finances and what have you found a way to tweak that right how do we how do we change that mindset if we can at all i don't know yeah um i think i think a lot of personal finance gurus say that spending is bad yeah. uh i i don't think that's necessarily the case i think it's really more about being intentional with mm -hmm. the with the spending that you have right it's, it's not about spending it on stuff it's about spending it on stuff that you care about mm. uh, and typically i have found that like with the gym and like with every other aspect of life humans uh don't care as much about the gain that they're going to get they care a lot more about the loss that they are going to incur so a loss that you have is going to hurt you twice as much as a gain that you missed out on and I think that speaks to the fundamental behavior behind not wanting to make a change if it's going to get you a better result, but making a change in order to not get a worse result. That That is so true. Um, wow. Like that, that's 
So true. I, I don't even, <laughs> I'm like speechless because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, like 100%, this makes sense. Um, look, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about this from an immigrant's point of view, like, because I, I think for, for us, like, you know, we both immigrated to the United States and um, the U United States market, it's different. It's a whole different animal, different beast. Like you, you can get credit cards for anything. It's really easy to fall into debt where I know that in Colombia, I, even with an amazing credit score here, having a really good net worth, owning property, I still probably can't get a credit card in Colombia. So like, but here <laughs> you get it, just go into the mall, right? So what have you seen? Like, let's talk about the major differences you see culturally in the United States and outside of the United States. And how does that unpack? Uh, how does that differ in the way you should look at personal finances and money here? Yeah, I, th I think it's a lot of if you've learned the system uh, in your home country, then, yeah, it's, it's a lot of unlearning to learn a new system. Right. Whereas for people who are students who are typically like one or two years out of college, maybe they work for a little bit, probably stayed at home while they were working. So didn't have to really deal with finances on their own. Uh, it's it's just being thrown into the deep end and, and learning the, the system. A big, I would say the big kind of core differences that I would say between de like developing countries and the US are one, the need for home ownership. I know there's there's like a lot of mistrust in the stock market or the equities market. So people are like, you know, house is security, real estate is security, it's tangible, I can see it, I can touch it. And people believe more in buying houses and buying real estate. Another big thing is, you know, staying away from credit. Credit is not something that we kind of were introduced to or understood uh, growing up because parents were not maybe useful, uh, were not uh, conscientious about how credit works. And, you know, it's always seen as a predatory system. Mm -hmm. And that's changed now in India, at least with like more credit cards and more a credit score and more established system coming. But uh, we, we've always been... Uh, unsure about taking on more debt to kind of do something. Uh, whereas the US is just, it runs on credit, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, lastly, I, I would say kind of talking to people about finance, um, depending on which country you're from, uh, people tend to not talk about money. They don't tend to not talk about uh, personal finance. And even if you have a problem, you're kind of not, not talking to your inner circle to be able to help you out. And that, that back home is, is like, usually there's a community aspect to it. You know, people pull in and people help if, if you know, your neighborhood or your, some, somebody in your immediate, like network needs help. You're, you're more likely to like talk to and reach out and help and have a supportive ecosystem. And, and I think obviously that's because United States such an individualistic society versus yeah. a lot of. Like I would say yeah. India or even Colombia, the Hispanic community is yeah. very uh, community based. Yeah. And so I think there is mm -hmm. some, some differences. Um, and yeah, the United States is built on debt, right? And and I think that's where I think that's the biggest shock that I see uh, from people migrating to the United States uh, or coming being an F1 student and coming in. It's like, you're not used to that. You're not used to that most people uh, get student loans. And that's probably way more common, but like the way you buy your car is to... Is to, is to some sort of debt. Uh, the way that you buy a house is definitely through debt. Like most people use debt, um, and the and, and so you use a lot of debt to to do that. And I think it can become really dangerous. I think for me, what I've noticed when I work with uh, mentees who get really good jobs and and are going from making 
less than $20,000 a year working on campus, right, to making over $100,000 a year is they are there they go from not getting any mail to getting credit card application you've been qualified you've been pre-approved and you can fall into that like fall into it really quickly or you just get you just accumulate a bunch of credit card day and and i think you're right i think i it's very rare that i see someone getting a job and having a plan so but before we jump in there like what should if a student in college be thinking about the about right now when it comes to their personal finances? Oof. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on the situation, right? As as with as with most people that come here, they probably are taking on debt in their home country to come study abroad. And they're incurring expenses in U.S. dollars with the uncertainty of getting a job here after you graduate. And at the same time, trying to have like a campus job so that they're able to either grab some savings, reduce the amount of money that they're taking on. So I, I would say really my, my two big pieces of advice to people that are that are studying here would be kind of focus on focus on getting a job. Like, like the whole exercise of taking on debt to come here to study, if you're looking for economic opportunity, becomes useless if you're not able to score a job here, yeah. right? Uh, and literally to, to something like what you offer, Daniel, like the last $500, $600 that you will spend in getting career coaching and resume rewriting is, is honestly the most valuable because without that $30,000, $60,000 investment that you've put in getting a degree becomes useless. <laughs> so that I would say that uh, and focus on building your credit score, because I know a lot of people are not aware about this. I got my credit card the day I graduated and I wasted four good years of like being able to build uh, credit, yeah. being living in the United States. So that's something I definitely wish I had done earlier. And then I, I would say kind of not focus on investing and trading. Like often people think, you know, I'm going to go trade stocks and make a quick buck so that I may be able to pay, pay that back. But A, you don't have enough money. You most likely should not have enough time if you're focusing on studying, getting good grades, doing job search, things like that. And the money that you're putting in is is probably $100. Like the equivalent ROI that you will see on that is not worth your time to be able to like do that. Oh, you So I would say those so, are the three pieces. So much there. I kind of want to like... Talk a little bit more about each of those. So a couple yeah. of things I agree. I think if you're not from here and you come to this country as an international student, you probably are not introduced on credit score until you graduate. And I think that you're right. It's a big mistake. And you don't need to get massive amount of credit to build a credit score. And there's actually a lot of banks that offer, a lot of this is actually come from community banks. So uh, is that offer credit cards when you don't have credit. And so the way that it would work is like, let's say you have a savings account and it's a thousand dollars and you, they'll give you a credit card for a thousand dollars, hold your thousand dollars. So they're essentially letting you borrow your thousand dollars and you're using that thousand dollars and repaying it to your, to, to, to them. So the bank is taking no risk, but you're building your credit and you can have those one, two, three, four years of credit history is going to allow you, um, a lot better and you're going to save money. So like the higher your credit score, and actually I'll, I'll let you speak about it. Like, and I'll move on to the other two topics. Can you walk us through a one, like one-on-one credit score class right now? 
What is a credit score? Uh, how should we, what do we need to know about it? Yeah, uh, credit score is basically a system which determines uh, how reliable of a lender you are. Yeah. And considering the US is a debt driven economy, everybody, like the banks only want to lend to people that have a good credit score and are earning well. Basically, the short version of it is, if you don't need credit, you're a great candidate to, to get credit from the banks. But uh, in, in calculating the score, they basically have a kind of scoring system where they use a percentage of your um, account, like account history, percentage of credit card utilization, which is how much of the total credit that you've been extended are you using? Typically, you want to keep this low, like maybe five to ten percent. Uh, payment history: how reliable you've paid, uh, how how reliable you've paid on time, and whether you're paying in full. Ideally, you should pay your credit card in full. Uh, how many new lines of credit that you have, and uh, what is the average age of accounts? And so, basically, once you have kind of opened your first credit card, it just becomes a waiting game to like establish a good history of one to four or five years in order to get a credit score. And then I would say the last one is just a mix of what different credit lines you have, whether it's credit cards, auto loans, home loans, things like that. I would, it's a much smaller percentage. I would not worry about it, but really it's, it comes down to like making sure you're paying on time, making sure you're using less of your credit and then making sure that you've had a credit line open for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so that's why starting your credit card as early as possible makes a big influence on it. And if, if, if you're, if this is the first time you've ever kind of heard about credit scores, like I actually think like a really good example of this, like think about your credit score as your financial GPA. Like you have your GPA in school, your credit score is your GPA. And just like your GPA, the higher the number, the better it is. And so I'm, I just Google this. So don't, I'm not this expert. Like I just, I, I've used this concept before, but from like what, what's considered fair credit score is from 580 to 669. So think about that as a 2.0 GPA. Like you pass, you got a C, it's not good, it's, ah, it's all right. And then you have 670 to 739, right? It's considered good. So consider that a 3.0 GPA, like, okay, good. Like that's like a B, like you probably can get a loan, but it's just gonna, you're gonna pay a higher interest rate. Um, and then you have 740 to 799. Consider that like a 3.5. All right. Um, and then if you get above 800, consider that like a 4.0. Like it's excellent. It's perfect. Flawless. Uh, you can get it. And essentially is it's always by brackets, right? Like there's always like this ranges. And let's say that you're buying a car and uh, you're, the interest rates are changing all the time. It's actually controlled. Uh, by the, you know the Federal Reserve and and then from their private lenders, um, but let's say that the interest rate is six percent if you have an eight hundred, and if you have lower, you might pay six point two five or six and a half or seven, uh, because what the bank is doing is a risk cost uh, is a risk. How much risk is it that this person pays? So I'm willing to mitigate my risk by charging you more interest. So I think that's kind of like if you've never heard, I think you should reach out to our guest today. Uh, to talk about this or, you know, definitely like Google it. But um, what do you, what do you think about that? Like credit score analogy or the GPA analogy? That's a, that's a great analogy. I, I, 
<laughs> to introduce it to students, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the second thing I want to talk about that you, that you said um, is about focusing on investing in themselves as well, not so much investing in that, like in the stock market in the beginning. Like, and I, you, you, you share that example of saying like, hey, like investing $500 up to be able to start working with a career coach might actually give you a really good return because if that working with that coach can they help you get an extra ten to twenty thousand dollars in the job that you get that's a really really good return and i and i do see the the fallacy of like wanting to invest in the stock market and you put a hundred dollars in the s p 500 and if the average return is ten percent and you only put say a thousand dollars at the end of, if you're putting a hundred dollars a month right uh because that's what you can budget at the end, you might only make an extra hundred dollars. You're not gonna. It's not gonna change your life dramatically. Um, now, I do think that it's there's a benefit of creating the habit of investment, but don't think that you're gonna become rich because you invested a thousand dollars in S and P five hundred. And so, I love that you share that example because there's a, 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 one of my favorite influencers. His name is Alex Hermosi, and he has this. Line. He says S and P, yeah. not uh, S and me, not S and P. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm glad that you you know it because it makes so much sense. Yeah. Like until you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you should be investing in your skill sets. Like what what soft and technical skills are required to get to the role or open the business or do what you need. And so that was super key, man. I love that. That was, uh, I mean, go, going back to what, like what we were saying, right? You're assuming that people are putting it in the S and P. Like yeah. most most people that are coming here, not even familiar with that, are actually trading individual stocks, and your probability of of losing the hundred dollars a month is much higher yeah. rather than even just doing like a like a regular investment. And and especially if you are at the finish line, right? Like investing in that $500 coach to be able to like recuperate your $36,000 tuition fee <laughs> is I would say far more worth it than you know, trading stocks. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, that is so true. I don't know, uh, one mistake that I see a lot of people when they're starting and they graduate is they, they don't know how to allocate their income. Do you have any advice, guidance? And I, and I understand, I know you're going to say, because this is like, every time I talk to a financial advisor or a financial planner, it's like, Daniel, it's all different. I get it. It's all different. But generally speaking, let's say I'm a, I graduated from, uh, from college. I'm making $75,000. How do I know how much I can afford for rent? How, how do I know if I can buy a Mercedes, a Honda, or just Uber? Like, how do I, like, how do I think about that? How do I process this, this information? Yeah, uh, I can give you, I have so many frameworks for this, so I'm, I'm just going to try and throw <laughs> whatever and hopefully it's of use, use to people, right? Uh, firstly, the main goal is to like avoid lifestyle inflation, which means stop spending more money to like improve your quality of life faster than the rate at which your salary is growing. So typically your salary is growing at 3%. Uh, you, would try to, you would try to kind of stay at the same expenses year after year so that you know your salary is growing and you're you're staying at the same level of expenses and hopefully you're building more investments over time but largely i would say the the key ratio that we tell people is like a 30 percent of your gross income is acceptable to go towards uh housing which means not more than one third of your paycheck should go towards uh housing um 
And then in terms of budgeting, I would say there's a 50, 30, 20 rule, which is yeah. 50% for uh, basic expenses, 30% for uh, good to haves, nice to haves, and then 20% like has to go into investments regardless of what happens. Uh, I also do it as like 40, 40, 40, 20, 40, which is 40% for essentials, uh, 40% for investment and 20% for needs. Um, so, so those are three frameworks. And then, and then I like, I don't like personally having a car payment. So I like to, I, I saved up money and I bought, I bought my cars cash used on Craigslist both times. And then now I don't own a car. Um, but yeah, ideally, like I would say, keep it less than 10% of your, uh, your, the, the car payment Oh no, sorry. The total value of the car should be less than 20% of your annual salary is the way I like to think about it. So I want to talk about this and, and kind of like really understand what you're saying here, because I think it's really gold. And I think to me, this is the most important part of our conversation so far. I think credit is important. I think all of that's important, but how you manage these ratios. And I think what your point is like your ratios might be different based on your circumstances. Um, and you know, like, I think that the, the 50, 30, so 30 on the, or sorry, 50% on like your, your, your must have your needs, like your housing, your electricity, your health insurance, right? 30% on like the, the luxury things, like maybe going eating out, getting your haircut, getting your nails done, like, um, and then 20% for him travel, travel back to your home country. <laughs> that, that falls under 30% is that right? Yeah. Um, and then having 20%. it should it should fall under the 50 percent <laughs> because i yeah, yeah it is it a should, must right it should be going back uh, yeah and then 20 percent for investment <laughs> and i do think i love the fact that then you said it you know what you should switch that like you then said 40 40 20 because when you are right out of college that's mm. when it, there's no point in your life where you'll make more money and have as low as expenses low expenses and so yeah. increasing your investment from 20 to 40 makes so much sense and there was this advice yeah. that someone gave me um and i remember graduating and it really completely changed my life and, and i want to back up the point that you just shared uh it, it was actually an old professor a professor of mine at the time he was a professor of entrepreneurship this guy was worth millions of dollars he was teaching just because it's his way to give back he was probably bored like he, you know <laughs> and he said daniel if you can live like a college student you're used to living like a college you've been living like this for a long time right if you can live like a college student for three to five years, you can retire five to 15 years earlier. So for every year that you live like a college student, that's three years earlier that you can retire. Now, like that's maybe not 100% accurate, but it works something like that. And it, it obviously depends on how well you invest the money and a lot of other things that are out of your control. And I took that advice. And I remember that I graduated college making $60,000 and living in Orlando, Florida, which is a shitload of money. <laughs> um, it's probably like making about 150 somewhere else, right? Uh, $60,000. And I lived with some roommates, which were my college roommates moved uh, and then lived with some roommates. And we rented a house in a in that, like literally kind of sketchy area of town. And we're like, <laughs> and I remember that I was paying, um, less than $450 for rent, utilities, and water, right? And so you think about it, like I'm making like around $5,000 a month, right? So if you break it down to 60, right? $5,000 a month, that's my salary, not including my yearly bonus, which is our, was another like 10 to $15,000. And I was paying 
for my 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 needs 10%, $500, right? Uh, at that time, I had a company car, so I didn't have a, I had a company car, yeah. And that's where I was able to buy a $250,000 house a year later and have a down payment, buy all the furniture with, with cash, right? And be able to essentially do it. And now when I did buy the house and, and the banks will only let you borrow, your mortgage payment needs to be below, uh, it needs to be below that one third mark. It's like the 33%. And so I, I, I maxed that out, but then I got roommates. And then I had three roommates um, at the time and, and they, I was paying, I was charging them $500 each. My mortgage was 1500. So I was still paying $500. And so uh, those little things, like you consider them sacrifices, but they're not that sacrifice because I'm used to living with roommates because once you live alone, you'll never live with roommates again. And so might as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I feel that I feel that sentiment from the from the bottom of my heart. I don't think I can go back to having roommates. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I would say it's like you 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 hit the nail on the head, right? Like another prime example that I will share with you is that you know because of like visa uncertainty that I I had as as an immigrant, I did not contribute the full amount to my four hundred one k. So I only did half. I did half the whatever the maximum was. So if it was $18,000, I did $9,000. Daniel, I did the math on it. The three years that I was like on OPT, uh, that I did not contribute the $9,000. In retirement, I'm missing almost a million dollars. That I, I missed out on a million dollars of gains by like not putting money into my 401k because uh, the money will just compound. Over let's walk years. through that because like, like first of all what is 401k what is 401k match yeah. right and, and what do you mean by by that compounding part of it because i think what you're saying is so yeah. true and i think most companies in the united states have some sort of matching that yeah. i can see most people in america not take advantage of it let alone if you're an immigrant and are here and saying i'm only going to be here for three years so let's walk through that <laughs> sure uh 401k so back in the day, our parents who were working government jobs or other jobs got something called a pension, right? Which is basically you're guaranteed a certain amount of money after you retire and you get paid that month on month till till you till you die. Uh, the US, they changed that system. Now what they say is you're basically re responsible for your own retirement and we're just going to give you this account which has a little like a couple of tax benefits and you put money in that you're responsible for how much you put in mm -hmm. and then that is the money that you're allowed to take out and use for your own retirement mm -hmm. and that is how you fund your retirement so they basically threw the onus on people that are working to be able to figure out how much or how little they want to save for retirement so 401k basically is a company sponsored account where you can you can put money from your own salary and you don't pay taxes on the money going in. Um, and that money you, you basically invest in the stock market for, if, if you will, in broad mutual funds in index funds, things like that. And then you're just supposed to kind of let that grow. And once you turn 65 or retirement age, you're able to take that money out and use that for retirement purposes. And then it's just taxed like a, like a salary that you will receive. Yeah. Right. Uh, typically, if you if you come to the country, you work, you get a job at like a big tech firm or something of that sort, you you should 
will you should and you will have access to a 401k and typically a company will incentivize you to put money into that by doing something called matching which means they say for every dollar that you put in we'll we'll match a dollar or we'll match 50 cents up to a certain limit let's say five percent or six percent of your total salary uh just to incentivize people a lot of reasons the we as immigrants don't do it is because we have the whole h1b debacle hanging over our head so you're like i graduated i have o i have opt i have the stem extension i have to apply for the lottery i don't know if i will get it in which case i have to go back in which case i don't know if i have access to this money and like i don't know if i can use it and i don't know what retirement will look like firstly we're not even planning 40 40 years ahead because that's like such a far time frame that we're not able to think about it and secondly you're worried about immigration in the near term so like this does not feel like a priority uh so big big mistake most people do is just inaction because they don't know and they don't understand the system they're not want, willing to learn and you know immigration is top of mind but uh yeah contributing to this account i mean you know you need money in retirement contributing to this account will actually just set you up very well for retirement especially if you're if in your early 20s uh, or even if you're younger than 30 and you're, you have ways to kind of take that money out, uh, even if, if you go back to your home country. So I recommend that most immigrants, you know, contribute to it, especially if there's a matching and ideally try to max it out because it's a way to force savings for yourself yeah. and then just live like a student on whatever you have left. Yeah, no, I, I think from what, what, from all the advice that I've heard too, like, and even it's like, um, at a minimum, you should contribute to your 401k up to the mat to the match and then from there you can then maybe find a better a way to invest it if you think that if, if it is but like that's a guaranteed 100 percent return on your investment right like if i if i put five thousand dollars and i get five thousand dollars like there's no there's not many places out there that can guarantee that level of that of that investment so you that's probably one of the biggest and most expensive benefits that companies do have so by, they don't want you to take advantage of it. So they're not going to remind you. <laughs> yeah, it's money from their pocket. Yeah, they're not, so they're not they, they have no Maybe reason. once a year they do it, put it in like HR presentation to say we offer this and it's like really, really small. But the odds are your company has some sort of 401k program. Look into it uh, and you should definitely do it. But uh, look, as we wrap up, is there anything that maybe we haven't covered that, that I think is really crucial for you know immigrants to think about their finances here in the United, in the United States? Yeah, I'll, I'll close it out with a quick anecdote that I had. I had a friend move from India recently to, to the US and he, he was just like blown away by the fact that if you pay enough money, like there is somebody who's willing to give you some kind of service in return, yeah. which like you might not necessarily have in your home country. But the way to kind of think about it in the American context is that life is a trade-off between time and money. And I, I think I think you uh, you had mentioned it in your podcast episode with like Sami Hajazi, right? Life is a trade-off between time and money, and like ultimately you can use the money that you have to buy back the time that you want. It's really important to be intentional about what it is that you want out of your life and what it is that you want out of your time, and figure out how to align those two. Yeah, I, the I, I love that, and 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 just even because that's probably one of my biggest takeaways of this 2023 for me is like how you either have money or you have time. And so you can solve the problems through time or for money or a variation of both. And so I think that that just really based on your situation, right? And I, and I think about this in the job search context, if you're listening to this, right? Like 
can you get a job without a career coach or without someone like me? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Would it take you longer? Probably. Is there free information out there? Yes. Figuring out which information to listen to that will take time executing that and not getting and not getting feedback that will take time. And the reality is that you could do it and you can still be successful at it. It's just, you will pay the price with time and that's okay too. But if you don't have a lot of time, you're going to have to use money to make up for that time, um, to buy someone else's experience that has already gone through this journey with time. And so if you think about that, right, why you pay a doctor thousands of dollars for 10 minutes because of the time that the doctor went to learn what he knew to be able to diagnose your issue and prescribe you the medicine. Right. And so I, I think that's the same thing with personal finances, career coaching, going to the gym and so on. And so I think that's a really, really important lesson. And that, that I love that you brought that up. So, um, look, I think we, we've shared so much advice, especially you, you obviously know what you're talking about. And it's really like, to your point, you said this earlier, once you get your job, your priority then now shifts on managing those finances and making those right habits and decisions and having a game plan. So if I am listening to this podcast and I got my job or or I'm a, I already got an offer, maybe starting a couple of months, and I want to learn more about you and your services, where do I go? What do I do? Tell me more. Yeah, I have a website. It's www.capital.capital.capital-we.com. And I, if you want the free stuff, I write on LinkedIn every day. So depending on what you're looking for, you know, follow me on LinkedIn or, or grab some time from my website to chat. And I'm happy to kind of help you uh, however you, you, however you feel like uh, would be best. Amazing. So what we'll do is we're actually going to put your website and your LinkedIn here in the show notes. Um, and, and, and thank you so much. Look, if you guys are listening to this, um, if you know someone that maybe got a job recently and you see them maybe spending too much money. Their, their, their habits have changed. Um, send in this episode, right? Maybe you can change their life and that, the trajectory of where they're going. If you see somebody that's saying, like, hey, I can't wait. I just got this job. I got a signing bonus. I'm going to go buy a new car, a brand new BMW. Send in this episode. Uh, I think your friend is going to really um, appreciate you that because I think uh, it's important. It's, it's really important. Um, doing this. And if you are in the other side where you're like, Hey, Dana, this is really good conversation to have when you have money, but I am looking for a job. Um, look, if you are an international STEM student and you need my help, I would love to talk to you, see how we can help you. Uh, so there's going to be a link there for you to kind of get a hold of us. And if you're a job seeker and you're not an international student and you still want to work with a career coach, um, there's also a link there that you can hit where you can fill your information. And what I want to do is I want to partner you up with someone that's been in some, another coach that'd be better suited for you that can solve that problem. Um, I'm not the best career coach for every situation. And that's why we do have some really good career coach uh, partners that we've met are been guests in our podcast that we want to recommend you because I do think uh, having a career coach is probably having a good career coach is probably one of the best investments that you can make. So again, if you've enjoyed this, like subscribe, share this with a friend. Thank you so much for, for being here and catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you for having me.